0: Welcome to the Hill City Podcast. This is a recording of the weekly gathering from Hill City Church. We exist to help people follow Jesus and build their lives around three goals. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. If you'd like to join us, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Caustic Center in Farmington Hills, Michigan. We hope that today's message will help you follow Jesus. believe it or not, is our last week in our series on Earth as it is in Heaven. All the way back in June, we started walking through what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached in his entire earthly ministry. And we've been walking through what is this greatest sermon ever mean for for each of us here as his disciples, as his apprentices, and we are coming to the end. And if this is your first week joining us, uh, don't worry, I can catch you up in one simple line. The Sermon on the Mount is all about what life in the kingdom of heaven looks like. It's all about life in the kingdom of heaven. It's not a list of rules. It's not a a list of do's and don'ts, which I think is a lot of uh, how most people read them. All right, I can't be angry. I can't be lustful. I can't be judgmental. I can't be, no, no, no. That's not what Jesus is getting at. Rather, what he's describing is he's describing what life as his disciples, as followers of him is meant to look like. And the way that this life is possible is when we come and we surrender our lives before him, we submit who we are before him, he comes and he begins to transform our hearts where this kind of life is the norm. And if it's not the norm, then what we need to do is we need to look at the areas of our hearts that are unsurrendered to him, that are not surrendered before him, and ask Holy Spirit to come in and do the work that only he can do. And when we live this kind of way as a result of a transformed heart, what we're doing is we begin to usher in the kingdom of heaven to earth just as it is in heaven. And so heaven doesn't become this spot that we get to go to one day. Rather, it's a reality that we live out here and now today as we follow Jesus. And so we've been talking about different things that Kind of come as a result of a transformed heart, like who's invited to experience this kind of kingdom. If you remember all the way back to when we talked about the Beatitudes, we talked about how everyone is invited in. We talked about our identities as a result of this truth. We talked about our anger, our generosity, our integrity, our love for the people who are difficult to love, prayer. We talked about fasting, worry, judgment. All of these things play a role into our lives in the kingdom of Of heaven, and today we wrap up this series. We wrap up this this sermon, and it doesn't end with that rah rah pep speech like you would think it does. It doesn't end like like that coach who at halftime or before the game gives that that speech that gets everyone's blood like rolling. It doesn't like the goosebumps coming. No, no, it's not that. Rather, it ends in quite a different way. Instead, the way that Jesus ends the greatest sermon that He ever preached is by giving us two ways that we can live our lives. Two ways. Jesus gives us two ways that we can live our lives. He simply reveals to us these kind of two options for what our lives can look like. And it's a simple reality that we all have a choice in the matter. We have a choice in the way that we can live our lives. We can either live in a way that allows us to be formed by Jesus, or we can live in a way that allows us to be formed by the world that we live in. So to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus simply reveals two choices that are in front of us. And isn't this how much of life is? Just the other week, I was uh, driving up to Traverse City. I went up there for a family vacation on Tuesday, came home on Thursday, went and picked up one of my mentors at the airport on Friday, and then drove him up to the middle school summer camp that I used to lead for all these years. And on our way up, we went from 94 to 23, and we were on 23, and my Google Maps said, go this way. To avoid a uh, a slowdown, and I thought that's ridiculous. That would never uh, make it faster, right? You guys ever th- do that? You ever see if you can cheat Google, uh, to see if you know better than the internet? Uh, just for a heads up, it doesn't end well. Uh, so just always always do what your phone says, okay? That's actually terrible advice. Don't always do what your phone says. Uh, But in this sense, I should have done what my phone says. So I was like, you know what, no, that's a a weird way. I don't know why it's telling me to do that. I'm gonna stay on course as, as as I know how. And so I get on it, and about 10 minutes into the drive, we are in dead stop, standstill traffic, and it added, an hour and 55 minutes to our commute uh, because there was a semi-trailer that had jackknife and there was all, like a five-car pileup and we waited on the highway so long the police came and just told us to go off-road and turn around on the, other, on the other direction because it was going to be hours before they cleared it, right? We always have these choices in the road, like these forks in the road, these choices to make in our lives. I can either do this or I can go and do this. And this is just the reality of life that Jesus lays before those who have been listening to him to this point. He reveals that after everything he's talked about, there are two paths in front of us. To obey or to disobey. To follow or to forge our own path. To be formed into the image of Jesus or to be formed into the image of the world. To choose the way of the kingdom of heaven or to choose the way of the kingdom of of another ruler. This is what lies before us. And so again, to end this sermon, Jesus invites you to make a choice. Jesus invites you and I as his listeners to make a choice. And there are two ways that we can ultimately live our lives, and he invites us to make that choice. He doesn't force anything on us. He doesn't give us an ultimatum he doesn't beg us or plead, us, plead, plead with us. Rather, he simply offers you an invitation. Why? Why would he do this? Because ultimately, when we come and we read the teachings of Jesus, his teachings demand a response with our lives. And so the rest of the sermon is Jesus' way of kind of illustrating these two choices that we have. It's, it's, a, it's a series of pictures that help the reader, the listener, to understand what lies before us. And the first choice that he invites us to make is between what he calls a narrow or a broad road. A narrow or a broad road. Here's what it says, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7. We're going to be looking at verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, And narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You can begin to see these kind of contrasting options that Jesus is picking up and painting for his listeners. He says, listen, there are these two paths. But before that even, he gives us this simple challenge of enter through the narrow gate, Enter through. That word enter there is is an imperative. It's a a command of action, a command of urgency. Why is Jesus giving us this command? Because there are two options. There's gate one that's this kind of broad, shiny, flashy path. Many people are, are traveling down it. They're enjoying it. They're having a good time. And then there's this other path that's narrow. In my mind, I see it kind of being overgrown, hard to spot. It's difficult. You're kind of walking through it, and you're getting the thorns and the thistles like that are kind of stopping you. It's uneven path. But the interesting thing is Jesus says, while the paths look different to the eye, they ultimately lead to different sp- spots as well. One leads to destruction, and the other leads to life. Whenever I read this these these verses here, I think of uh, this spot in downtown Philadelphia. Danielle and I lived there for a few years. And Philly is known as the city of brotherly love but they're also known for a specific kind of food, the cheesesteak, alright? Uh, and so everyone, when they go to Philly, you need to find a Philly cheesesteak. Well, some of the original cheesesteak places are literally right across the street from each other. One is known as Gino's, the other is Pat's. And Pat's and Gino's are kind of the OG, they're the original sw- uh, cheesesteak spots. And what's interesting is my wife and I, we both prefer Pat's, over Geno's. And that's like a controversial statement in Philly. Like you kind of like talk about these different things. Like, what are you? Are you Geno's? Are you Pat's? That's a thing. Like everyone has their, their, their cheesesteak that they like. But the interesting thing is, is when you go there in the evening, uh, Pat's is unassuming. They kind of got a big sign up front that just says Pat's King of Cheesesteaks and all this stuff. And there's not much to the outside of Pat's. But when you go to Geno's, there, it looks like you're walking down the Vegas Strip. I mean, there are, like, lights everywhere. There's, like, arrows pointing down. There's, like, uh, voted number one best cheesesteak, king of the cheesesteaks, the real king. You know, like, there's lights everywhere. And it's almost as if Geno's knows that they, they are the inferior cheesesteak. Uh, but they need all these lights for the people who are walking and go, like, which one should I choose? I'm going to go to the flashier one. You know, like, and they just go over there. And I think in many ways that's kind of how it is in this. Like there's one that's like flashy and bright and big and wide and the line is long. But it ultimately offers you something that won't bring fulfillment. It's a destruction that will leave you empty and wanting more. But there's this other path that's going to be difficult and hard. Only a few people find it. At the end of it, it brings life. It brings that life to the full that Jesus has been inviting us into. You see, Jesus is inviting you and I to choose a path for our lives. And he reveals his desire for you. Like It's not like he's offering you, hey, just choose whichever one. It doesn't matter. It's all good. I don't care. No, he's saying enter through the narrow gate. I want you to walk through the gate that leads to life. And some of you are sitting back and you're saying, I don't understand what you are talking about right now. This is, this is what Jesus is offering. These paths are, are, are metaphors for our discipleship to Jesus. This wide path that leads to destruction is not discipleship to Jesus. It's discipleship to the world. It's us following the ways and the thinking of the world in front of us. But this narrow path, that will ultimately lead to life is Jesus saying, will you take on these teachings that I've been telling you about from the beginning? Will you take hold of these things and begin to not just kind of enjoy them once in a while, but to build your lives around them, to come and enjoy this path that will be difficult, it will be hard, but it will ultimately lead to life. It's narrow because it's a life of demanding discipleship. It requires a person to turn from their sin to follow Jesus. It leads us to life in the kingdom. And in Jesus, he is inviting each of us to choose between this narrow gate that leads to life and this broad, this wide gate that will ultimately lead to destruction. And so the question that's kind of left hanging in the air when Jesus is done speaking is will you choose the difficult road? and the narrow gate that leads to life or the broad road and the wide gate that ultimately leads to destruction. This is the invitation that's set before us here. This is the first invitation that Jesus sets before us. And he continues this process of inviting us into this life with him by offering us an option to choose between good fruit or bad fruit good fruit or bad fruit. Here's what he says in verses 15 through 20. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Jesus moves on from destructive paths to kind of these destructive teachers, right? Again, he starts off with the word of warning, his desire for us. Watch out for false prophets. Again, this is an imperative command. It's a sense of urgency. You've got to watch out. And you have to remember, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, part of what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount is he's pushing against what people were saying about him. Everyone was saying this new rabbi, Jesus, he's teaching things that are not in line with the law. So people were calling him the false prophet. And he says, no, 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 you guys need to watch out for the true false prophets. You see, a person was a false prophet if they not only just taught something wrong, but if their life didn't line up with the very things that they were teaching as well. In fact, much of the ways that the rabbis in the early days of Jesus would fulfill the law, remember Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, the way that a rabbi would fulfill the law is not just by the teachings that they gave, but by the way that they lived their lives in accordance with the law and their teachings. And so what Jesus is saying is he's saying, listen, you want to know if a teacher is, is a false prophet, he's got to look at the fruit of their lives. Are they willing to follow the very things that they are telling you to do? So he's saying that there are teachers of the law that don't teach the heart of what the law was always meant to mean, and they don't live out the heart of what the law was meant to do. They just simply obey rules and put off the check marks on their day, and it hasn't transformed any part of their lives. This is why Jesus would say, well you've heard it said, but now I say to you, it's not about murder, it's about the anger that you've experienced in your heart. It's not just about adultery or divorce, it's about the lust that you experience in your heart. It's not just about oaths, but it's about your integrity. It's not just about being religious or upright, uh, and it's not just for the religious and upright, it's uh, everyone is invited into this reality. You see, Jesus is offering a new and deeper way of understanding it. But the interesting thing is this was always what the law was meant to to be. It was just that the teachers of the law had taught action over heart, rules over heart. And that's what Jesus was coming back to. So Jesus is warning us to watch out for the people who claim to know the law, but they are unwilling to live it out the way it's meant to be lived out. And on the opposite side of this warning is an invitation. It's an invitation to take on Jesus' yoke. A yoke in the Old Testament for a rabbi was his way of teaching, his way of understanding scriptures. We are able to take on Jesus' way of, of living out and ushering in this kingdom of heaven. And again... In our world of social media pastors and teachers and leaders and authorities and everything, this this warning from Jesus hangs true. Watch out for the false prophets. Well, how can I know what a false prophet looks like? Again, you have to ask, do they pass the fruit test? Because Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So... We find sheep bec- by looking at the fruit of their lives. You find sheep by looking at their lie, or you find the, these these uh, teachers who look like sheep but are actually wolves by looking at the fruit of their lives. I remember one time uh, this, earlier this summer, my wife uh, began to begin making some more gluten-free meals because we we're discovering that my one daughter has kind of a gluten intolerance, and. Uh, and I was kind of fighting it. I was like, oh, I don't want gluten-free bread. I have heard it's disgusting, blah, 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 blah. And she was like, well, we'll just slowly start introducing it. And I'm like, all right, because I'm a loving dad, like, I'll do it. That's actually not why. I was just like, I didn't have a choice. I don't make the dinners all the time. And so um, and so, um, so, one day, Danielle made this meal, and it was delicious and everything, and she made these new rolls. And I was like, these rolls are awesome. They are incredible. Like, we need to stop buying whatever rolls we've been buying, and we need to only eat these rolls. Like, they're awesome. They're delicious they had cheese in them like it was awesome and she said can I tell you a secret and I was like what It's like, those were gluten-free rolls. And I was like, I was floored. I was like blown away to the point where like we literally only buy these rolls. And some people will come up and ask me, what are those rolls? I have no idea. I just know what they look like. And I know that I eat them whenever they're available, okay? Um, So if you want to know what kind of rolls they are, ask Danielle. But I have no idea. But I was, I remember thinking like these didn't look like the way I had thought they would look like, but oh man, the moment I got to enjoy them, oh, they made all the difference. Same is true when it comes to the, the fruit of our lives. Some of you, you may look at them and think, it's all good, but the closer you get to their lives, you'll realize they're bad fruit. Ever cut into a piece of fruit just to find that the inside is all bruised and nasty and rotten? It's the same thing with our lives. Some people will not be able to see the fruit of our lives until they get up close, till they come close and draw near And that's where community is such an important part of our lives. Don't fall for just the people who are flashy and seem like they have it all together. Inspect their lives. Inspect my life. Inspect Adam's life. Inspect the lives of the rest of us on staff here at Hill City. We're inviting you into that. Because ultimately, if we take hold of these false prophets and their teaching, amen, uh, what will happen, uh, what will happen. There we go. Uh, What will happen is that their false teaching will ultimately produce bad fruit in our lives. See, it's not enough for us just to understand that there are false teachers. We need to observe their lives because if we do not, then those false teachers will begin to produce that bad fruit in our own hearts, in our own lives, and it will leave us empty. It will leave us longing for more. It will leave us unsatisfied and in those moments of temptation, we will not have the tools that we need to stand up under it. So again, the question that kind of leaves is left hanging in the air is, so will you choose this good fruit and be a good tree that's kind of roots go down healthy and strong? Or will you be, choose the bad tree with the bad fruit? Like which of these will you choose? This is the invitation that Jesus is giving to each of us. So good fruit or bad fruit. And Jesus moves on at this point from talking about a tree and its fruit to inviting you and I to examine whether or not we have a genuine or false motive genuine or false motive. This is kind of the best way that I I know how to say this, and I hope you'll see why as we read verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. These may be, in my opinion, some of the scariest verses in all of Scripture. I feel like every time I read this, I sit back and just simply pray, Lord, may I be someone who does the will of you, not my own will. Because here we see this picture of two people. People who are invited into the kingdom of heaven by the Father and then people who are not. And what's interesting is this group that is not, they did things, they did things in the name of Jesus. They prophesied, they performed miracles, they cast out demons. And yet in the end, Jesus did not know them. I was listening to a podcast earlier this week, uh, or actually last week, and it was by uh, a pastor, well-known pastor, Tim Keller, who recently passed away. And in this podcast, he talked about some of the uh, recent leadership failures that we've seen in the church around around our country and around the world. And he said, what's happened is many people mistake what he called grace for the gifts. And what he means by grace is he means the fruit, the spiritual fruit of our lives. And so what he was saying is many people, they are incredibly charismatic. They have these gifts that people are drawn to and people love to come and be a part of this this kind of Uh, be a part of their gifts, of their grace, but rather in the midst of it, in their own personal relationship with Jesus, they are left lacking that fruit. And so the people closest to them, they don't see the fruit in their lives. They don't see those gifts of grace in their lives. And what happens is uh, people only see what's kind of on the outside. And what I I, I was reading this passage, I thought of what Keller said, and I think that's so true. So often what happens is we are drawn and we assume that we are good because we kind of have these gifts that God can use. But the reality is, is God desires us to be so near to him that our lives, our hearts are producing fruit as a result of following him. And so what Jesus is getting at is, have you made a genuine, genuine decision to follow him? Is is your motives for serving him out of a genuine heart that's response is to say thank you for the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus? Or is your motivation to kind of do your own will and to use your gifts to kind of shine a spotlight on yourself in those moments? You see, in those moments, Jesus is going to say, if your your motive is a false motive, then I will proclaim that I do not know you. But if you have a genuine motive to come and to know me and to draw near to me and be with me, then I will come and I will invite you into the kingdom. You see, friends, scripture has given us a clear picture of what a confession of faith looks like, a genuine confession of faith looks like. In Romans ten nine. He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It's a fact. It's a promise that we see in Scripture. If you confess with your mouth mouth, and you believe in your heart that Jesus was Lord and he is raised from the dead, then you will be saved. But the interesting thing is, in Scripture, in Jesus' time, decisions were never made just verbally. They were always married with action. You see, when you read about f- uh, salvation coming from faith alone in Scripture, faith was never just belief by itself. It was belief that moved you to action. And so what Jesus is getting at here is these people, they, they had the actions, but their hearts were far from him. And what he's saying is, I want people who have genuine hearts that are focused on me. Don't look at the stuff that you do to be the things that save you rather have a genuine heart that's focused on him. A confession of faith is not all that there is. It's a light. It's a heart. It's a posture of your heart that changes everything. When you have genuine motives to honor Jesus through your life because he is the Lord and Savior of your life, then you pass what Jesus describes as the fruit test. You are saved, according to Romans 10. And you can take comfort in knowing that when you die, Jesus will look at you and declare that he knows you. See, I think when we read this passage, it's not necessarily do you know Jesus, it's more like does Jesus know you? And the way that you let Jesus know you is through the motive, the posture of your heart, not just by obeying the rules that you follow. The other week my kids were fighting and they were just getting after each other. You guys know that. You grew up, if you grew up with siblings, you know, like you can just wake up and your sibling chooses violence, you know. And like it's just one of those things, right? Like my kids the other week, summer was winding down. They were tired. They were done. It was just one of those weeks where I was like, okay, this is going to be a day. And And two of them were fighting. I made them come together. I said, listen, you guys are both wrong. You guys are both being mean to each other. Apologize and give each other a hug. And so they did, they looked at each other like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry too, right? I said, now give each other a hug because you love each other, right? And they like gave this half-hearted hug and they walked away and I kid you not, they did not even leave the room that I was in and they started fighting again. I was like, all right, you guys need to go separate corners, you guys can't play together for 10 minutes. And they were like, "What? why? I'm like, why are you fighting? You don't even like playing with each other right now, just like go and be by yourselves, right? This is kind of what it looks like when we're following Jesus in that way. Like, okay, well, don't be anger. angry. Oh, okay, fine. I'm not going to do it because I want to. I'm just going to do it because you said so. Say sorry because you love each other. Fun, I'm not going to mean it. I'm just going to do it. All right, this is what Jesus is getting at. He is coming against these kind of false motives that are pushing against What he ultimately desires for his disciples. And what's interesting is, lordship is the key of these verses. In these three verses, the word Lord is mentioned four times. And so, what Jesus is getting at is who is really ultimately the Lord of your life? If you, have made, if you have a genuine motive to follow Jesus, then Jesus is the Lord of your life. But if you have a false motive, this kind of one that's all about rules, then ultimately you are the Lord of your life. Or whatever else you hold dear is the Lord over your life because those are the things that judge the decisions and the actions of your life. So, lordship is key. So church, the question that's left kind of hanging in the air again is, will you choose a genuine confession from a genuine motive in your heart to make Jesus the Lord over your life, or will you make a false confession from a disingenuous motive to make yourself the Lord over your life? This is what Jesus is offering to us. And finally, the final picture that Jesus goes to to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount is actually a story. A story then invites each of us to make either an active response or a passive response. Here's what he says in verses 24 through 27. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and they beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, it's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and they beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Can you imagine the last words of the greatest sermon ever spoken is these words, and it fell with a great crash. It's not a nice wrap-up with a bow that says, and now, friends, here's what I want you to do. It's just simple words that kind of are left ringing in the audience. And it fell down with a great crash. All right, guys, let's go follow. Or follow me. Let's come uh, down off the mountain. This is what happens. Jesus paints this picture. And he says, if the last one was about the motives of your heart, then this one is about the actions of your life. Because he says, everyone who hears these words of mine, and what? Puts them into practice. Talking about practice. This is what God is inviting you and I into. He is inviting us into a life of obedience to him. We are not saved by our obedience, but rather our obedience is evidence. It is the fruit of our decision to follow Jesus. It is the fruit of our faith. So living out Jesus' teachings is important to him. In fact, Jesus began the entire Sermon on the Mount with this Verse in Matthew five sixteen, In the same way, he said, let your light shine before others. What is your light? Is it your thoughts? Is it just kind of your church attendance? What is your light? Is it what you're posting on Instagram? No, no. What is your light? That they may see your what? Good deeds. That is your light. It's, it's the, the actions of your life, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Your light is your actions. And what Jesus is opening the Sermon on the the Mount with and now closing the Sermon on on the Mount with with, is a challenge to put his teachings into practice, to not just simply know them and hear them, but to actually now live them out. That is the invitation of Jesus. And so will you have an active response to Jesus' teachings or will you have a passive response to Jesus' teachings? Again, all throughout Scripture, faith is referred to as belief and action joined together. This is why in James 2, the brother of Jesus, he writes this. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. You see, this kind of faith that says, I just believe, but I'm not going to allow it to transform any part of my life, is what we would call cheap grace. I think of what the reformer, Martin Luther says, he says, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. What he means by that is it's always accompanied by a life that is seeking to walk in obedience to Jesus. The evidence of a true profession of faith is a transformed and obedient life. The one who professes and does the will of the Father in heaven. The one who hears Jesus' words and puts them into practice is ultimately what Jesus says, the one who will build their house on the rock. And I love this because some people say, well, who is this for? Look at what Jesus says. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words. This invitation is for everyone. It's for you, it's for your family members, it's for your neighbors, it's for your coworkers, it's for the the family and your kids' sports team that you're kind of interacting with every week. It's for everyone to put into practice. And the qualities of a wise man who does this kind of, or lives this kind of life is they hear the words of Jesus and they put them into practice. I think, of, I think of our kind of formation triangle that we've talked about in the past. If you've not been here, part of our desire is to see you formed into the image of Jesus. And if you want to learn more about what this looks like, I invite you to go to our podcast and go back to our series called The Heart of Hill City and our week on becoming like Jesus. But this is our desire. People are formed through teaching, right? Who hears these words of mine. This is Jesus here. Through practice, through putting them into practice, and through community. So this is the reality of what Jesus is inviting us into. He's not inviting us to follow him by himself. He's inviting us to hear his words, to put them into practice with the people around us. And we can do that as much as we want, but it's ultimately the Holy Spirit that dwells within us that will bring about this kind of transformation to look, make us look more and more like Jesus. And so you can have good, moral people, but if they do not have the Holy Spirit living within them, then they will not look more and more like Jesus. And the way that we receive the Holy Spirit is by submitting and surrendering our lives to Jesus, to choosing the narrow road, to choosing the good fruit, to choosing to listen to Jesus, to choosing to build our house on the rock. It's not about passively responding to the gospel in faith, but nothing in your life changes. Rather, it's about building your life actively around your faith in Jesus. Football seasons just started up. I was talking with someone yes, or earlier this morning. I said, I've, "I've watched way too much football yesterday, uh, way too much. My wife would probably agree with you uh, with that statement. but um, when I was in college, I went to Michigan State and um, at that time, they would choose the Spartan of the game. And so this would be like the Spartan super fan of the game. And so I went to college in that season when the movie 300 came out, which is all about the Spartans uh, and and the original kind of uh, soldiers of Sparta. And so we had this idea for a lot of years to dress up like those soldiers. So we made these like masks, we painted our chests. Uh, One of us had M, the other one had S, the other one had U on it, and we wore these kind of like capes, like the Spartan soldiers, and we went with our sandals on and everything like that. We made swords and shields and uh, everything. Like we were all in, and it wasn't until we actually went all in on this that, at the end of the game, guess what happened? We were invited down onto the field, and the crowd got to choose by way of cheering who the Spartan of the game was. And guess who won the Spartan of the game? We did. We got on the field and like they cheered for us and they won and we got a $25 pizza house gift card, which at that time was like a million dollars for a college kid. And But it was funny. We had always talked about how cool would it be to be the Spartan of the game? How fun would it be to do that? And it wasn't until we actually did it, put effort into it, started walking in that obedience that we ended up seeing that happen in our lives. Friends, if you want to know Jesus, if you want to live the kind of life that Jesus offers to each of us. It will not simply be enough to just say, "Yeah, I'm cool. I'm going to go to church and that's enough." No, no, he's inviting us to build our lives around it. Because there are going to be days when the storms of our life, storms of life come and they beat against our house. It's not going to be easy to follow Jesus. Remember, there's a narrow road. It's difficult. It's a tough journey but it's going to lead to life. And those houses that are built on the rock, the storms of life, they'll come. They'll blow against it, but it will not fall because it has a firm foundation. But for those of you who build your lives around other areas, other things, your way of living, what you think is moral, what the world is telling you is enough. It's like building your house on sinking sand. When those storms come, there's nothing firm about it, and it falls with a great crash. This is the invitation of Jesus. Will you be like this wise man who built his house on the rock, or will you be like the foolish man who simply hears Jesus' words and does not put them into practice? This is the end of the greatest sermon ever written, ever preached. How do the crowds respond? Matthew 7, 28 and 29 says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their own teachers of the law. See, a final invitation. Will you follow this man who has authority or will you follow these people who are the average teachers of the law? Friends, Jesus ends this sermon by a final story and ultimately he doesn't force a decision on you. He simply offers you an invitation and he simply says the choice is yours to make. Will you follow him? This is the most loving thing that Jesus can do is to simply offer you a choice. It's the most loving thing that he can do. See, one of the most unloving things that he could do is to take away your choice, to force it upon you so that you have no ability to to choose one way or the other. But instead, he allows you to choose him or to choose a different way of living. So the choice is yours. Will you choose the narrow path that leads to life? Will you choose the good fruit, fruit that comes from a good tree? Will you choose a genuine profession of faith that comes from a genuine motive in your heart? And will you choose to put into practice Jesus' teachings and be like the wise builder who builds his house on the rock? This is the invitation and the choice is yours to make. What's kind of been haunting me all week is I've been thinking about these two houses, thinking about these two trees, and, I, and I, we don't see this in the text, but again, this is just where my mind goes. I think these two houses probably look the same. I mean, who doesn't want a house on the beach, right? I mean, like when you go on vacation, you're going on Airbnb, and what are you looking for? You're looking for that beach house that's right there on the water. It's a wide and broad path that, that many people are traveling down, but it's not until you come up and you, you inspect it that you see, oh, there's cracks from settling and, and it, the, the floor is warped here. And from the outside, these, these homes look the same, but it wasn't until you come and inspect your lives deeper and more, in a more meaningful way that you begin to see what God is doing here. I think it's true for our lives many people they look like good and moral people they look like churchgoers they give they serve but my my fear is that you are just like I was that you are missing it by about 18 inches you are missing it from here to here like you know who Jesus is but it has not impacted your heart friends i want us to be a church that is full of people who are putting into practice the teachings of Jesus. It's been convicting for me this week to even just look and say, Jesus, what of your teachings am I not putting into practice? What are the areas that I'm falling short on? What are the parts of my life that that is not producing good fruit? Father, I repent of those and I draw near to you and ask Holy Spirit to come and reveal those to me. But for me, for a long time, I was missing the whole point of Jesus by 18 inches. My head knew who he was, but my heart had not taken hold of it. My invitation to those of you here today, if that's you, is to respond. Make the choice to follow Jesus, to build your life around who Jesus is what he's said, what he's done for you. You see, Jesus is not just a good teacher. He is the very son of God who came to pay the penalty for our sins through his life. He is offering us a new way of living and it is available to everyone. Everyone is invited in. But it begins by responding to the truth of the gospel. The choice is yours to make and your decision will make all the difference in your life because... Your life to come, I believe is a continuation of the life that you choose to live today. If you choose to live your life on the broad path that is devoid of God, you know more, you are content with your will being done, then Jesus will allow you to continue down that path. But if you choose the narrow path that leads to life and you say, Jesus, it's not about my will being done, but it's about your will being done. I surrender and submit all of who I am to you. Then you begin by putting your life into his hands and saying, Lord, do with it whatever you want. You are Lord and Savior, I am not. And he comes and he forgives you of your sins. So the choice is yours to make. We're gonna end by declaring that as a church, we wanna build our lives on the firm foundation of Jesus. But for those of you who are sitting here and you want to kind of make this choice to follow Jesus, I'm gonna be standing just down here. A friend of mine, Larry, is gonna be standing over here. We would love to pray with you in making that decision. Romans 10 again says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that he was raised from the dead, then we will be saved. And so we would love to pray with you and, and help you make that choice. But our desire as a church is to be a church that is building their lives on the rock, hearing Jesus's teaching and putting them into practice. So if that's you, if that's something that you've never done, we would love to do that. Don't be afraid to stand up. There's great joy in putting your faith in Jesus and responding to him. I hope that we can stand here because if we can't stand up in here and kind of go and make decisions, it's going to be really hard to stand outside the walls of this, this room. So friends. Let us choose to build our lives on Jesus as our firm foundation. May pray for us. Father, we come and Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the reality of your life, that your life came, to, came as a way to make a payment for our sins. Your perfect life paid for our imperfect life. And as we come here and we sing this song, we respond to who you are. Father, I pray that we would make a choice, that we would make a choice to submit all of our lives to you. That we would not just give you Sunday mornings, but we would give you the other six days of the week as well. That we would not just give you certain parts of our heart, but we would give you all of it. That we would not just say, Lord, I'm good with you kind of making decisions for me when I'm in need, but Lord, I trust you that you know best in all areas of our lives for all time. And so Jesus, as we come, we respond in faith and ask and pray that Holy Spirit, you would come and make us more like you. Show us in this song the areas of our lives that are not like you. And for those of us who are feeling, feeling just that conviction that we've not made a choice, but rather we've missed the whole point, you coming, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move them to get up. Maybe prayed over so that we can rejoice in the realities of people coming to know you. So, Father, we come, we ask and pray that, build our li- that you would help us to build our lives around you as our firm foundation. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Holy Spirit, come and do whatever it is that you desire to do in these next few moments. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I said, we're going to sing this song as response. There'll be a few, a couple of us up front. If you want to be prayed for, we would love to pray for you. Otherwise, let's stand and let's sing and declare that we will make Jesus our firm foundation here this morning.